1: Welcome into the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Preem. Eric Scopel is with me as always. And if you're a non-subscriber to DuckTerritory.com and this is your first interaction with us, welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Lots of good stuff on this show. We're trying to stay coronavirus free best we can. Talk sports the most we can. Uh, and there's a ton of stuff going on on the site. We are offering a 50% off annual membership right now, $1 for your first month, $9.95 there after that, or like I said, 50% off your annual, which comes out at $4.48 per month, billed up front, $53.70. So if you're new to DuckTerritory.com and you enjoy this podcast, consider subscribing. All right, Eric, uh, Wednesday, we're not letting our routine break. We are... Going in with the mailbag, we've got some good questions. I think some wide-ranging ones and also some funny ones with that as well.
0: Yeah, it's a good combination today. And, of course, with there not being any sports right now, there's a lot of fun kind of reflecting questions, some forward-thinking questions, some, like you said, some kind of fun questions here. So we'll start out with, I think, one of the more interesting questions we've had in a minute here and, and I think should be a good source for discussion from at March Madness 83. The Oregon Men's Basketball Program has ranked uh, 20th in the country per Ken Palm. This is based on 1997 through the current season. In 10 years, will the Ducks be more likely to be five spots better, more than five spots worse, or about the same, and why? Um, This is referring, obviously, to men's basketball. And maybe we can take a look at the women's basketball. I don't know exactly where they would be ranked over the course of the last 20 years. But um, from the men's basketball perspective, Matt, 20th in the country over the course of the last, I guess, what is that? 23 seasons what do you think are you thinking that they're closer to 15 or closer to 25 or, or, or right around that in terms of where they'll be if we're looking up around 2030
1: uh, sure you know i i think for me i would side with the idea that this program is continuing to project upwards that the organ is going to in my mind, continue to get significantly better with Dan Altman as head coach. I mean, just go back and, and look at some of these seasons that Oregon has had in which they continue to show marked improvement. And I understand that, you know, last year they maybe had a struggle of halfway through the season. And then late in the year, they turned things around. And I understand the year before that, they didn't make the They didn't make the tournament. Yeah. But You know, Sweet 16 last year, who knows where this team was going to go? You could have told me that they were a team that cut down the nets and you could have told me that they were a team that lost in the second game of of the first weekend. But there's one thing that, that's definitive and that they were one of the most consistent teams over the course of the 2019-20 season, uh, in a year in which it was the unexpected. And then, you, you know, you have a Final Four, you have an Elite Eight, you have a sweet 16 in the picture as well. Uh, Dana Altman's streak of 20 or more wins is impressive. It's as long as it's ever been at Oregon. Um, his entire career is all, all 10 years at Oregon. He's, he's won 20 or more games. So I'm going to say with in the next, we're saying five years, right? Or 10 years? 10. 10. I think Dana Altman has probably a majority of those years, of those ten years, still left a coach. I don't think he will coach all ten of those, um, but I think he will coach a majority of those ten. And with him here at Oregon, I'm going to say Oregon is closer to fifteen than they are closer to twenty.
0: I'm I'm with you on that. I think if I look at this, and obviously. The time frame we're looking at was selected by the poster here or the person on Twitter here from 97 to now. I think if you were to look at it from 2007 to now, which is roughly about when Dan Altman started coaching at Oregon, I'm going to guess Oregon's ranked higher than 20th nationally in in terms of where Ken Palm would have them. And I just think because of that, and and you're right, because of just the the recency bias or, or what's taken place recently, the trajectory, you're right, has been seemingly moving up almost every year. And you think about the recruiting improvements that we've seen um, with, you know, if you look at the last four recruiting cycles and there are more five stars than the school had ever had in any of the years combined prior. Um, and, and you think about the success in terms of winning conference championships like you ran through, in terms of deep postseason runs like you ran through, and I, I don't think there's any question that this program it remains on the uptick under Dane Altman over at least the course of the last 10 years or so. And so if I'm looking 10 years ahead, I'm with you. I think five spots better than that probably, closer probably to be one of the top 15, top 10 programs, because frankly that's kind of about where they've been as a program, um, at least kind of since the Dylan Brooks, Jordan Bell group arrived here, um, I, I guess kind of coinciding with Joseph Young's final season. It kind of seems like since the, about that point, Oregon has kind of been one of those ten top 10, top 15 programs most years. And I think that's kind of the direction that they'll be headed uh, in the future as well. All right. Second question from at QuackAttack74. With the current roster construction, how many scholarships will be available for the Ducks for the 2021 recruiting class? Hashtag Oats and Audibles. Love that we're getting the hashtag out there, Um, Matt. What do you think here? what, What number about can would you expect Oregon to take in 2021?
1: I think you go back to the 2020 class, look at how many they signed. They have 20 players that have signed – or, yeah, 22 players, excuse me, that signed with Oregon on one of the two National Signing Day periods. They also added a transfer in Devin Williams, so a class of 23 guys. And I think you go back to 2019 and you look at the fact that they had 25 guys enroll. At Oregon, they had one player transfer in, so a class of 26. And then you go back the year before that in 2018, Mario Cristobal's first year at Oregon, they had 24 guys sign with the program. I think the program's going to be right about there. Uh, Oregon, I, I think the reality is this. Under Mario Cristobal, gone are the days in which Oregon is going to look at it and say, we have 21 available scholarships. We are going to sign 21 players, and we hope all 21 guys get in, and we hope all remaining scholarship players return to Oregon. I think Oregon understanding under the standing of, hey, if we can sign 24 and we're available to sign 24, even though we only have 22 spots available, we're going to sign 24 guys. And kind of strange term here, but natural selection is going to play itself out. Some some guys are going to look at the depth chart in the spring football, and all of a sudden they're going to say, you know what, these two guys are coming in, I'm four guys behind the second string spot, I want to go somewhere and I want to play. And I I think that mentality, while Oregon's not, while they're not running players off, while they're not going out and, and telling players, you need to leave, they're operating as if if we can sign 24, we're gonna sign 24. If we can sign 25, we're gonna sign 25. Uh, in the 2021 class, I think it's gonna be right around somewhere of 22 to, to 25 guys. And it's all gonna depend upon what the needs are. And those will, those needs will change after we have the fallout of what was supposed to be spring practice. And that will yes. also change In the summertime, during fall camp, guys will leave. And then the first four weeks of the football season, guys will leave after that too when they have an idea of, hey, I'm not playing and I can still redshirt. I'm going to transfer out and go somewhere else. So I think we're going to see this 2021 recruiting class. And this is why I think Oregon's going to sign a top 10 class and maybe their best class in school history because I think they're going to go out and they're going to sign 22, 23, 24, 25 guys.
0: Just like we were talking about the men's basketball program going on an upward trajectory, I think football recruiting at Oregon is undoubtedly heading in the same direction. And so it it makes sense. And, again, you don't want to rag on anyone on the roster because Oregon has about as talented of a roster as they've had at least in half a decade, at least since they were competing for national championships. But at the same time, the reality is the more players you bring into the program with your ability to recruit at an advanced level – you want to bring in more players because you might, even though a maybe maybe you're only supposed to or, or in terms of space you have room really to X number, if you can find a way to kind of add four extra guys into that group, whether that means a player retiring medically or transferring out or, or whatnot or whatever the circumstances might be, going pro early, more than likely the player that you're going to be, quote-unquote, replacing those outgoing players with, are going to be at least higher regarded recruits, more talented recruits. And I think, in fact, if you were to go back and look at, like, Oregon recruiting class in 2017 and 18 and you were to look at some of the guys that Oregon signed that class, the reality is there are probably players there that Oregon wouldn't have maybe offered a, you know, a scholarship to or maybe wouldn't have followed up with in terms of getting them to sign on the dotted line just because they've kind of elevated the caliber of recruit that they're able to bring in. So, yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense if you're Mario Cristobal on the staff to just go out with the with the thought that, hey, we're continuing to elevate the caliber of athlete. The roster acquisition continues to improve. So it makes more sense that you can find a way to add 24, 25 guys as opposed to adding 19 to 20 guys. That's probably going to be beneficial in the long term in terms of just providing the roster with, uh, you know, the most talented group of players possible.
1: I mean, why would, if, let's just say the rule, the, the rule we know is this. You can sign 25 guys. Now there's
0: Waste definitely
1: some discussion that schools are gonna maybe able to sign like thirty five over a two year over like a eighteen month period or something like that. I can't remember the exact wording of the number. It's I think it's more like fifty over two years. Um so that could have mean one year you signed thirty guys and the next year you sign twenty.
0: Sure.
1: Um but right now the current setup is you're allowed to sign twenty five guys in a class. That does that means nothing about hey, you have 60 scholarship players or 65 scholarship players coming back after your most recent season. And if you sign 25 players to that, you're now five guys over the scholarship limit. And somehow, some way, you've got to get down to 85. The, the the 25 does not take that into account. So if if you're able to go out and you're able to find – Five more players and, and sign, you know, five more four star recruits. Wh- why would you put a limit on yourself? If, if from just a, looking at it from a pure data standpoint of talent acquisition, like you said, of why would you purposely not sign the best class you possibly could sign and then let the chips fall where they may? And yeah, you may end up having to, hey, this guy, you can't come because we don't have a scholarship for you, but, Deal with that later. Like, in today's day and age of college athletics and the movement that players have that, and that they should have, more often than not, players want to play. And, and they see that before most other fans, media members see their possibilities slipping through their fingers. And they, they go somewhere else. They find another alternative to play and it helps them. And so, looking at this, why would you not try and sign as many talented players as you possibly legally can, and I think that's the approach that Mario Cristobal and Morgan has has done.
0: And, and certainly in 2021, there is so much momentum from 2019 and 2020, and that already started in 2021. It. Exactly. You've got to capitalize on it. It doesn't make a lot of sense to, to hold back on numbers if you can find ways to add, like I said, an extra three or four recruits. Those players could be players that wind up being big contributors over the next couple of years, and you'd hate to miss – uh, on the opportunity to, to have some of those guys uh, because of because basically because you're not able to get flexible and make it work. And obviously there are, are ways about, like we said, about, about getting creative and, and finding ways to maximize your numbers in a class. And Oregon certainly needs to be one of those programs that is doing that because the recruiting momentum is, is so evident and so clear. It seems like every year they're kind of continuing to build off of the previous year. And I think 2021, like you said, has a chance to, to be even better than the last two classes, which, would obviously be a tremendous, tremendous accomplishment and, and again, continue to set up this program and this roster to be the most talented in history going forward.
1: Now, I will say this, that there is now, just like in basketball, we're starting to see it become more and more frequent now in football as well. Basketball was the first, but now football is, is following suit. We're seeing more and more transfers. We're seeing more and more grad transfers at that, too. Like, there's now two sub-levels. There's the transfer, and 10 years ago it was, hey, this player is transferring down a level. So what what are those levels? Well, it's the blue-chip player who's not playing at one of the top premier schools who transfers down to maybe – a Mountain West conference school or a group of five school. And then it's the middle of the road, power five g- guy that transfers down to the FCS level um, and, and so forth. But now we're seeing a guy that's at premier school transfer to premier school. We're seeing a guy that shows up at the FCS level and balls out for two years and transfers up to the group of five or up to the power five. And then a subgroup of all of that is the grad transfer. Uh, Scott Pagano, I believe, I believe Scott, no, not Scott Pagano, Vernon Adams was the first grad transfer that Oregon had. And then Matt Hagerty was with him and Scott, and then the, the next year it was, uh, Dakota Prukop and then Scott Pagano. And we've seen a couple other guys come through, most notably, most recently, Juan Johnson. Um, I think just like in basketball, crystal ball is always going to try and keep one or two scholarships, maybe even three available going into spring football and emerging out of spring football to see what grad transfers pop up, see what transfers pop up. And then you also want to keep one now in the, in, in the pocket for during the season as well. So when a Devin Williams decides, Hey, you know what? I'm going to transfer schools and i want to look at somewhere oregon's not in a bind saying wow this guy could really help us wow this guy is someone that we really want but we just don't have the room we can't bring them in now we have to wait until january or we have to wait until march or even june to, to to bring him in and you lose him to a rival because they have 84 out of their 85 scholarships filled and they have that one spot remaining
0: all right, our third question comes from at Josh Harden underscore four. Did Jacob Breland participate in drills at the Pro Day? Hashtag tight end one, hashtag odds and audibles. Love that we've got two people using the hashtag this week. That's, I think, a new personal record for the podcast, so go go team go. <laughs> um, Breland was dressed. I, you know, it's funny because we haven't really talked about the Pro Day, I don't think, because it was the same day that sports were basically canceled in, in totality, and uh, it, it kind of was... Honestly, it was one of the last live sporting events, I guess technically it's not an event because it's not like there's competition, but in terms of something that's actually held that you can actually stand and, and watch them run through things, it's one of the last things that was available, at least from an Oregon perspective, uh, and probably just nationally. Um, Oregon held that on Thursday afternoon, shortly after all the conference basketball tournaments were canceled, all of the NCAA tournament uh, was put on hold and then canceled, and um, and it was, it was a, it was a fun day to actually be able to, to see some guys do some stuff because this is potentially one of the last times, uh, that you'll be able to, to stand and, and watch athletics take place. So, um, I was at that along with Kevin Wade and Jared Mack. We had some coverage on the site, but we haven't talked about it on the podcast. Um, to answer the question, Jacob Breland was there. He did not run through any of the drills. He's still rehabbing that injury that forced him to miss the entire second half of the 2019 season. Um, he looked like he's obviously been working out, getting in shape uh you can look at him and he didn't look like somebody who was uh grossly different than how he I had seen when he was competing um but obviously there's still some work there for him to get uh healthy enough to to run through some of these drills and frankly, you know the event which Matt has actually never attended an Oregon <laughs> pro day which
1: somehow uh, I was able to haggle myself out of every one of them
0: and now, I don't want to speak poorly on the event, but uh, I he's not missing a time. Uh, <laughs> put it that way. It's a lot of standing around. They don't have, you know, at least at the way Oregon is conducted, they don't have live results coming in. So you see these guys running 40s, but you have no idea how fast they are, aside from Ooh, that a couple fast. of us. Yes, I, and got a few of us trying to time them on our iPhones, which we're all like we we all do it, and then we turn and show, and we're all like you know five tenths of a second off. So I guess if you average the, the four or five of us together, maybe you'd have a decent m- number, but more than likely. We're not even close, so you don't even get live results. I think the highlight of the day, and it's no surprise, and it's basically the only thing we wrote about though, was Justin Herbert and, and just his arm strength and, you know, going through and, and watching him throw passes to Juwan Johnson and Charles Nelson, um, and Ryan Bay. Those are the three players that, that caught passes from him. That was uh, super impressive. I mean, you see him live in person. Uh, swinging it around out there, and he was almost throwing a perfect game. I mean, I think there were maybe one or two passes that were a little bit low, but he was basically on the money with everything. And uh you know, Jawan Johnson said afterwards, and, and I thought this was pretty notable, that he thought, even in the couple months since Oregon won that Rose Bowl, that Herbert has elevated his game and his mechanics and his arm strength, even from there, and that he's even taken a further step. And, and having watched Herbert, and you've seen this as well, Matt, live in practices, uh, that's hard to believe because he has an absolute cannon. And you knew when scouts and, and NFL personnel were able to watch him throw live that they were going to come away impressed. And, and that was certainly the case at the Combine. I think Oregon's pro day was the exact same thing. And, and he was certainly the story uh, of the afternoon out there. And, and I think probably, I don't know exactly how much room he has to, to move up in the draft. I think they've got a pretty good idea of who the top two quarterbacks that will be taken this year. But He certainly is not hurting his draft stock, and I I continue to think he's somebody that'll be taken in the top 10 draft picks in this year's NFL draft. And, uh, and quite frankly, I, I wouldn't be shocked at all if he has the best pro career from an NFL quarterback or from an Oregon quarterback that they've seen because he has all the physical tools. And Oregon, quite frankly, a lot of the guys Oregon has had drafted in the top ten as quarterbacks really have not been particularly productive um, NFL players. I think there's a decent chance that Justin Herbert changes that, and, and whoever drafts him uh, will, will be a very competent playoff-caliber team for, for years to come.
1: Wouldn't it be just too much logical sense for, I mean, with the news that's come out recently of Tom Brady choosing to leave the Patriots or maybe the Patriots, choosing to not sign Tom Brady just that to me that just makes a lot of sense right for the Patriots to go up and, and draft Justin Herbert
0: I don't hate it I, I, and I think that would make a ton of sense and it would be very interesting to see how that plays out I mean what you know one thing with Herbert is that uh it kind of has felt like maybe he's not somebody that loves to be kind of in the bright spotlight and certainly being the one to replace Tom Brady in New England. Yeah. You're not really a, you're spotlight. not avoiding the, the spotlight, you're, you're stepping right into the limelight. Um but uh I think he's someone that would be capable of doing that. I also think if you're Justin Herbert, you probably wouldn't hate the idea of having like a gap year where you're kinda of learning behind a veteran older quarterback and Uh, You know, it'll be remains to be seen if there's really even a possibility of that coming together with any of the teams that will be drafting uh, in the range he should be selected. But I think to me that would be what you'd prefer would be some sort of setup where you uh, where where he's allowed a a year to kind of work behind a guy who's an experienced veteran quarterback. I think that can be very beneficial. You, You think about obviously Tom Brady worked under Drew Bledsoe for a little bit. And Aaron Rodgers had Brett Favre in front of him. And, you know, there's a countless other examples of that where it has really been beneficial. So for me, if I, if I want, if there's a spot, I want Justin Herbert to go, it's just a place where he's not going to be expected in year one to be a superstar. And he's able to kind of develop maybe at his own pace. All right. Fourth question from at PDX treks hashtag. Ots and audibles. There's a third one. So that's a new PR again. Uh, I feel like the defensive line is a little thin. We need more Cumberlander, Baker, Carlberg types. Not stars, but just solid bodies to absorb a few minutes. Also, how do we get, to, how do we get to play all of these talented defensive backs? I think that's a pretty good point by, uh, by Grant, which is the name attached to this uh, Twitter account. Just in like, you look at the depth from Oregon, and they did lose three of those guys that were contributors that were able to play a lot of minutes. And we should actually mention there's a fourth there with Sione Cava. So Cava. So actually four kind of veteran guys um, on the defensive line are gone, and they're going to have to replace some of those players. And uh, I'll be honest, it was hard in the limited opportunity we got to watch spring to really gauge that because Brandon Dorless missed all four practices and Christian Williams missed two of them. And, I know Andrew Foley doesn't play the position anymore, but he was gone. And so there just weren't all that many body types really available to get a feel for that depth. At, at the same time, I think Isaac Townsend is a player to keep an eye on. He was backing up Drayton Carlberg. I thought he looked impressive. Um, Austin Foley, we should also note, was kind of dinged up. At, but Popo Amabe was starting at his spot uh, next to Jordan Scott. Good to see him kind of playing a couple different positions because he kind of had felt like the the natural backup nose guard. Now the fact that he's able to go out and, and give reps at uh, the other spot and maybe show some versatility that could be beneficial going forward as well. But I do think there's some good points there in terms of uh, there probably are is a need for three or four more players to step up and can a can a Keon Ware Hudson be one of those guys? Can a Dorlus or a Williams be one of those guys? What about a Suave Potti? Um, what about a Braden Swinson? Or a Jake Shipley, two guys that we've also seen in spring. And, I, and actually, I should know, I think Brayden Swinson is going to be a player. I was really impressed with uh, the way he carried his weight. He's clearly added a little bit to his body, but um, there, there is a need, I think, on the defensive line to add a little bit more uh, depth. They're not going to get the experience. That's just not really available right now because so many veteran guys have graduated. But they're going to need one of these, one or two to three of these young freshmen, redshirt freshmen, sophomore. Kind of players to to be ready to contribute to kind of get the most out of this, but at the end of the day, I think you still feel pretty good about your your top rotation because you have a Jordan Scott who'll be starting his fourth season, the Thibodeau who's a, a potential superstar, uh, and then Austin Folly who, like Scott, has been at least in that kind of starting rotation for now four years and and obviously is a very proven capable player.
1: I think. I mean, they've got options out there along they do. the defensive line. It, and it's just this is the natural progression of when you have—I don't want to throw those guys that just graduated under the bus, but for the most part, a lot of them, for majority of their careers, were backup players. You know, mm-hmm. they were part-time starters at best. Right. And that's you know when when you lose four or three guys that for the last three seasons have been kind of that second unit. Like, you're gonna look at it and say, oh wow, we need, we need some guys to step up and be some secondary players for us. But that, that, those are gonna be guys that I think Oregon, for a better term, can replace rather quickly. I mean, Brandon Dorla seems destined to, to be a breakout star this season because he kind of forced some of those seniors that graduated to even lesser roles this past year because of his emergence. Uh, Keon Ware-Hudson is another guy that, that I think is going to turn into somebody in 2020 that's going to be a really special player along the defensive line. And then you have Christian Williams. You've got Suave Pote. Uh, you've got the true freshmen that are arriving this year. Um I, I think out of that group, you only need like one or two of them to kind of emerge to go with the rest of the returning group, and you're going to be fine. So I don't <clears> – <throat> I don't know if there's really one guy out there that I'm, I'm just desperately concerned that Oregon can't replace because I think Oregon's got the bodies to, to be able to do it. Maybe not individually, but collectively they can make up for the, the lost production.
0: And I want to like take a second here to answer the second part of the question here about how they're going to get all these talented defensive backs on the field. My short answer is I don't know. <laughs> but i it's pretty clear talking with Andy Avalos that they're that they're finding ways and solutions to that uh one of the the keys of the spring uh you know the four practices we watched was that they were really cross training multiple guys with different positions Thomas Graham basically took reps with each position group and Veron McKinley did the same thing and we saw uh, I think Javon hall and move around between safety and nickel a, a little bit so they, they, they met, there was a clearly a concerted effort to Get everybody the opportunity to play a variety of positions, and I think that's a huge benefit going forward. Because another one of the key things that Andy Avalos spoke about was you get all these guys cross trained, and then you get to a position where in the season you want to use a certain package, and now you have six or seven defensive backs you can play at once. And I think that could be something we see more than the normal. You know, I think in the past, obviously, you've got your the five defensive backs on the field basically at all times. Maybe you would see a sixth guy out there. We don't be surprised if we see some some funky kind of exotic packages back there where you have six, seven, maybe eight defensive backs on the field just because that's something that Andy Avalos spoke about trying to become a little bit more multiple on the back end, just like they were more multiple in the front seven uh, last season. So I think you're going to continue to see there be a lot of creativity from Andy Avalos, and, and he's very much aware of the fact that you not only have your five starters back, but you have three to four to five more guys that are very, very capable players and not even we're not even talking about a guy like Dante Manning who, um, is yet to enroll, and he'll be here this summer, who's another five-star caliber player. There is certainly going to be a load of talent for Rod Chance and Keith Hayward to coach up and for Andy Ablos to kind of configure how he wants to use them in that defense. I think that's something you have to be really excited about with this group.
1: One player in the secondary that has just gone completely off the radar because of recency bias. Like, we, we, we always do this. It's not just – Oregon football fans, it's everybody. We we always just kind of gravitate towards the most recent item or the most recent subject or player or whatever. But don't sleep on Steve Stevens. This is a guy that was a U.S. Army All-American and a four-star recruit, was a highly regarded prospect that basically everyone in the Pac-12 wanted. And he showed up to a depth chart that had – a lot of seniors back in the secondary, and then a lot of promising young players that have emerged. Obviously, Javon Holland was in his same recruiting class and has turned into a really special, really talented player and in his own right looks like an NFL player. But we're talking a lot about Bennett Williams. We're talking a lot mm-hmm. about Michael wright and we're talking a lot about... Uh, a guy like Nick Pickett and Brady Breeze coming back, and Verone McKinley as a as a freshman All American last year, and then there's JJ Greenfield who signed with Oregon, and there's Triquez Bridges and DJ James who were who were freshmen last year. And I'm not saying Steve Stevens is going to come out and he's going to become a starter next year and in, in the year 2020, but this is the, goes back to my point of trying to find as many good players as possible because. No one talks about Steve Stevens and no one realizes that he was a freshman All-American, you know, uh, excuse me, a high school All-American, you know, coming out of high school, you know, the the seventh best safety in the country, the 14th best player in the state of California was, you know, the, uh, you know, the 137th overall player in the country in the composite. So this is a top 150 guy that, it wouldn't surprise me if we start seeing his name a little bit more. It just goes back to the point of we need, you need to see Oregon continue to sign as many talented players as they possibly can because yes, some guys may never fa you know, they develop and, and to live up to their potential. But if, if your deal is, is that, you know, a four star, a four star All American can't play, that just must mean that the guys that, that are beating him out are, are, all world players and that's kind of what we're seeing in the secondary right now all right let's take a quick break you're listening to the Austin Audible's podcast
0: you deserve the truth the enemy is at our gates the fight for humanity I look at your faces I do not see defeat no and I do not see surrender it's far from over you will not make that stand alone we have something the enemy does not we have heroes Halo new season now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus
1: All right, welcome back to the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prairie. Mary Scopo is with me, as always, taking your questions halfway through. A couple more to go.
0: Fourth question from – or actually, fifth question, I should say, from at Tosh Myers. What do you predict to be the men's basketball rotation for the upcoming season? Um, I'm going to kind of send this your way, Matt, but the, the, the obvious question is, how does Oregon replace a couple players that were starting at the end of the season here in Peyton Pritchard Anthony Mathis and Shakura Shakur Jouston.
1: Um, real quick, can you repeat that question again?
0: Yeah. Okay. Do me to read it to you already. Yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. Should I start over?
1: Yeah. Sorry.
0: Fifth question from at Tosh Myers. What do you predict to be the men's basketball rotation for the upcoming season? I'm going to turn this one over to you, Matt. But I think the qu- the clear question is, how did they go out? and replace Peyton Pritchard and Anthony Mathis and Shakur Justin, three guys that were pretty important to this team down the stretch.
1: Yeah. Pritchard, I think Pritchard's probably the most clear-cut answer, as crazy as that sounds, because he's the, the toughest player right. to replace. But this is Will Richardson's show next year. He's he's the, the lead point guard, at least early on. He's the guy that's going to get first crack at running the point guard position. And I I think he's going to be someone that will excel in that role. I, I I'm high on on Will Richardson and his his potential out of Oregon. I'm gonna pull up his recruiting profile and just go read his scouting report, which is not there unfortunately. Uh, that's Awkward. what happens when 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 you fly on the roll. But the the. Scouting report of Will Richardson coming out of high school was that he was a a four-star point guard, top 50 recruit, could also play shooting guard, and was a very good scorer and a very good passer. And I think we've kind of seen that play out in his first two seasons at Oregon. Um, We certainly have not seen him show like the consistency of Pritchard as a senior, but I don't think that's... A fair ask, if that makes any sense. Like, he hasn't been asked to be the guy every single night. You know, he's certainly had games where it's, hey, you need to carry the team because it's an off day for Pritchard or it's an off day for somebody else. But he's not gone into a season yet knowing, hey, I'm the most important guy on the team because I have to run the offense. I'm the head of the defense and, you know, everything rolls through me. But I think Pritchard's going to be the guy that replaces Oh, I think Richardson is the guy that replaces Pritchard this year, and then now Mathis and Jusen are going to be different because Richardson led the team in three-point shooting. Can Can Oregon ask him to be the best three-point shooter as well? And how does his offense change being less spot-up shooting on threes and and kind of creating their own shot? I think. It's gonna be a, a case of does Oregon get Chris Duarte back? Because if Chris Duarte gets back, he's your primary jump shooter, three point shooter on the team. Richardson's kind of the secondary guy, and then Addison Patterson could step in and you, you kind of fill in everything there. But I agree, like I, I I think they need to find some kind of a shooter in the in the spring recruiting period. That could be a grad transfer. It wouldn't surprise me if that's the way they go. Try and find a guy that that's just cool with. Being, you know, either a starter or potentially even being a guy that comes off the bench and, and plays 18 minutes a game and, hey, we need, we need you to, to knock down two three pointers a game. And, you know, if, if, if you can do that, we are in a really good spot. So I think that's kind of what they do for Mathis. Um, it's going to be surviving, you know, on the wing with Richardson and with Chris Duarte and the development of Addison Patterson, the red shirt of Eric Williams coming off. Those guys will help and then going out and finding a grad transfer or a junior college transfer. Now, Shakur Houston, this one is less complicated, but it's going to come from a different, bunch of different areas. I think the most logical and most, the area that's going to come from the most is Eugene Omari, a transfer from Rutgers that spent this past season as a redshirt because of his transfer. And you look at his stats the last three seasons at Rutgers, He was a full-time starter last year. He started 26 out of 28 games, averaged 13.8 points per game. He averaged 7.2 rebounds. He shot 31% on three-pointers, 71% on free throws. And the big thing here is he shot almost five free throws a game, which is big. He also is an established passer, 2.4 assists per game as as a junior last year. He's going to be the guy that, mans that power forward spot for Oregon next year. He is a completely different player, too. Like, Jusen was a long, lanky, athletic guy. And Eugene Umari is an inch shorter, but is significantly heavier. He looks like a football player, to be honest with you. Like, he he looks like a tight end. And so I I think he replaces Jusen. Now, what does the Oregon rotation look like? I think they're going to go with... Let's just assume everyone comes back. Richardson at the point guard position. Chris Duarte at the two. Eric Williams, who's, a, who's another transfer, and if you're unfamiliar with who he is, he played his ball at, at Duquesne the first two years. He averaged 14 points the last two years each. As a, as a sophomore last season, 7.6 rebounds. The year before that, he averaged 8.8 rebounds. So this is another guy that scores, can rebound the ball. He's going to be the small forward at 6-6. Eugene Omari will be the power forward at 6-6. And then I think Infalli Dante is going to be your starting center. Maybe, maybe Chandler Lawson, but I, I, I think a, a healthy and adjusted Infalli Dante is going to be too good to keep off the floor. Uh, and, and he will be the team's starting center. Now, the better question for you and for everybody else is what are the possibilities that all these guys come back next season? Cause, transfers happen in college basketball we've seen it under dan altman there's only been one year in which they they did not have a transfer in the off season i believe and are we going to see this off season be the second one or will the trend continue and we see someone leave
0: all right next question from at cheryl 22024020 i hope i didn't give away like her social security number by reading that out but uh there's a lot of numbers there are so many questions, but I suppose I should ask, we won't have a spring game. Uh, I would be really stunned if that takes place, uh, given the current circumstances of things. Uh, sports are basically postponed, and I think we're going to pro- I'd be I'd be stunned if something changes here where we are, life is back to normal within about a month of now based upon the things that I've read. I don't know, Matt, are you expecting there to be a spring game? I know they've said quite a few, basically everything has been canceled, but do you think something could change? And you, what, what would you say the odds are of it actually happening?
1: Oh, I think it's highly unlikely. Yeah. I mean, not to go super doom and gloom here, but if you're an Oregonian, you know of the restaurant McMinimins. And they basically have released a statement saying that they're laying off almost everyone. They're closing every location except for one location that brews a majority of their beer. Because they're not going to be able to to stay afloat with this. So if if businesses are are just shutting the doors right now, I have a hard time envisioning we're going to be in a place where a spring game can be played in 30 days. Like it's just yeah, not going to happen.
0: There's almost I think it's basically inconceivable. I'm, I want to be optimistic and say I hope it happens, but right like. I just can't get myself there, you know, and we don't want to dwell on this topic too much of, of the doom and gloom of what's going on. But certainly I think you can expect April 18th when the screen game is set to be played. Don't expect it to be there. Could it, in theory, be something that pops up at a later date? Uh, I, I Maybe, but I, I think more than likely we're going to end up getting through this. And, and, and unfortunately, there won't be a spring game for 2020, which is just another one of those things that's, that's too bad and disappointing. But I think you kind of have to understand given what the circumstances are. All right, and our final question. This is a joke question. This uh,
1: might have been my favorite question. All
0: right, from at mvh underscore genetics, what's your best toilet paper alternative? Napkins, <laughs> paper towels, a shower, other. And actually, there was a response that said uh, the answer should be a, a husky towel, like a husky cheer towel. So Ooh, I don't know. that's a nice one. Let me ask you. Let me go this way with you, Matt. Do you have? Are you stocked up on toilet paper? How are you doing? Yes, you my are.
1: household has toilet paper.
0: Uh, we,
1: we actually had a, a situation where it was, okay, you're going to go get toilet paper, right? Right. And then we both came back with toilet paper and I said, I thought I was getting toilet paper. So the premium household has two packs of toilet
0: paper. Oh boy.
1: We should be fine. Um, don't tell thieves out there because I don't know if you saw that story or not, Eric, but
0: I know I, I did not. Uh,
1: the Eugene police fielded, a uh, an emergency call or an emergency, I guess, online submission. That someone's toilet paper had been broken, and had been stolen out of their vehicle, which was broken into for the toilet paper. <laughs> We've reached the point in life where a toilet pa- toilet paper has so yeah. much value, people are breaking back of windows of vehicles and stealing them out of your cars. So, if you have some in your v- vehicle today, Eric, take it out because the thief will come and take it.
0: I'm not saying whether I have any toilet paper or not. I was going to disclose my toilet paper situation, but based upon the fact that someone might find where I live and come and take it from me, I'm going to be very <laughs> protective of my toilet paper. To be, to be, to be honest, why the hell are people so interested in ha- why are we stocking up on toilet paper? I don't get it. I really don't uh, understand. I don't know. Uh, I guess Thankfully
1: every- people are starting to, to limit the uh, amount of toilet paper you can buy down to one pack.
0: Well, that's great. Um, in terms of if I had to choose an alternative, uh, I, maybe I would just take a quick Rinse afterwards if I didn't have toilet paper available. Um, because why not? But I don't know. I, I wouldn't, I don't want to use napkins or paper towels because what am I going to do with those after? I'm not flushing those down and <laughs> having to call a plumber over to, to fix my toilet. So, um, yeah, I would probably go the non paper route and, and just hop in the shower if, if worse come to worse. And yeah. I'm not, again, I'm not saying my, my toilet paper status here, but, but how I'm explaining this probably lets you know that I, I do have some at my disposal.
1: Napkins, paper towels, and I'm surprised you didn't mention tissue mm-hmm. as well, but those are all three that you're not supposed to flush down the toilet, which, like you said, could cause problems. And if we're all in quarantine, there's not going to be a plumber to come get you. You're, you're just going to be stuck for a while. Yeah. Um, as a parent, you're not a parent that you know of. Um, hey, <laughs> <laughs> okay, Matt,
0: wow. Uh,
1: I'm, I am a parent, so I have a little bit of uh, ec- extra ideas here. Don't sleep on baby wipes. Oh. They do also sell baby wipes that are flushable. Okay. So, if you, if you go to the, if you go to the grocery store or you go to the Target or the Walmart, wherever you go in, and shop, and they don't have toilet paper, go check the baby aisle, see if, if they've got some, some, you know, baby wipes that, that are there. Now, if you want to get real, just, Nasty and crazy. They Let's also, they also sell washable, reusable baby wipes that you can, Ugh. that you can buy. My family, uh, as a parent, I never was like, Hey man, I want to use this cloth and wipe my child's bottom and then do it again. You know, after a wash, that didn't sound ideal to me, but there are a lot of people out there that do that. So, you know, you could go that route. Uh, how about a sock? if you're going to go that way.
0: <laughs> wow, uh I think we're going to wrap it up there, Matt. I don't know where this is going, but I don't love the direction. <laughs> I think I uh I think the best life hack you did offer there is the uh yeah, is the is I don't, I don't know if I'm going to use the reusable, but the, but the baby wipes, I think that's the route to go. Um, I don't think again, I don't flush a napkin or a tissue paper or a papal tower down. That's that's not going to end well for for anybody.
1: You only can do that so many times and then what you flush comes right back up.
0: Yeah, it's a problem. And
1: that's not good. So hopefully we brought some light to the world, uh, some laughter on that on that question. I probably thought a little too long on <laughs> that. A more than I did on that
0: one, I'll be <laughs> honest with you. Uh
1: but thanks again to uh MVH Genetics for the question. Uh if you wanna shoot us some questions, go ahead. Use the hashtag Ots and Audibles. We'll search Twitter for that. We'll also uh send out tweets as well. We're gonna we're gonna keep doing these and you know we'll we'll see what happens. Maybe we we'll come up with some hypo- hypothetical questions and, and yeah. some debates and, and whatnot, but the mailbag will continue because we might not have sports to watch live, but we certainly have sports to debate and discuss and hypothesize and talk about, and we will continue to do that. So for Eric Scopel and myself, Matt Premi, you've been listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast.
0: Adios, amigos. The hit Paramount Plus original docu series returns.
1: The last time I saw Max, he looked at us laughing, and then everything changed in a blink of an eye.
0: My feeling as a detective is that he was murdered. Yahoo Entertainment calls it a spine-chilling docu series showcasing real-life tragedies. What if it was your child who went missing? We need to know the truth. Never seen again. Now streaming on Paramount Plus.